I am Alon Ben-Mir, and welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is Dr. James Zogby, founder and president of the Arab American Institute and managing director of Zogby Research Services, which has conducted groundbreaking surveys across the Middle East. You can find Dr. Zogby's full bio on the page for this episode. Uh, actually, I wrote my dissertation on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, published it as a book, Imperative and Choices. And this is going back, uh, I hate to say, nearly 40 years. I did my dissertation on the Arabs in Israel, yeah. the, the Arab citizens of Israel from 48 to 67, and I published it in 75, I think. That's funny. I, that was my most published sentence. Yeah. It was called Arabs in the Promised Land. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I found it interesting that I, I got to... I, I initially was working on the thesis of... Um, that I, I developed working with Anthony Wallace, who was an anthropologist working in culture change. And he was dealing with what he called revitalization movements how people under stress uh, go through a transformation of consciousness. And, um, and so I had looked at the, the nation of Islam here in America. Mm -hmm. I'd looked at uh, a number of Native American Indian movements, um, a movement called Father Divine's Religion in Philadelphia, a number yes, of things yeah. that grew up out of um, mm -hmm. the pressure of deprivation or the pressure of social and political uh, and physical dislocation. So I thought I would work with the Palestinian refugees. So I went to Lebanon. I was working in the camps, collecting stories. And at one point, um, uh, I met Hussein Kenefeni, the novelist. And Hussein said, what are you doing? And I told him what the research was. He said, you're in the wrong place. He said, the camps froze consciousness. They didn't transform consciousness. The place you need to go is the Arab community in Israel. He mm -hmm. said, those are the Palestinians who are developing the most revolutionary new consciousness. And he said, they'll be the future of, of, of our people. Um, and so off I went and I met Tawfiq Zayed and uh, Mahmoud Darwish and Sayyid yeah, Qasim, yeah, yeah, the poets. Yeah. And I found it fascinating because they were not only developing a Palestinian identity, um, but they were also as I, as I had seen here in, in, in the black culture in America, they had absorbed the language of the oppressor and were now transforming it into their own language. So you had poetry being written, Job's diary or um, Isaiah speaking to the city. They, they were using the language of the, the prophets against Israel. And mm -hmm. so it was, it was truly a revolutionary new consciousness that was developed. And I'm seeing it still play out today. I mean, it is there's more creative stuff coming from, uh, from the, the Palestinian Israel. In Israel, yes, there is coming from the, from the, the West Bank. There's no question. There's no question. And they manage also, uh, and for good reason, to, man, to maintain the affinity. Uh, to the rest, of course, of yeah. the Palestinians, yeah. which is very important yeah. to to maintain that kind of uh, not just unity, but the consciousness. Yeah. That is where this is uh, Palestinian, where yeah. the Palestinians come to go. Yeah. 
But, you know, I read what, what you wrote about the Palestinians, and certainly I'm 100% uh, have been from day one, going back almost 40 years for a two-state solution. Yeah. And when I was talking about two-state solution, then I was threatened by both Israelis yeah. as well as Palestinians. <laughs> yeah, I, I, when I was running the Palestine Human Rights Campaign in the early, the middle 70s and to the late 70s, uh, we also came out with supporting two states, and we also incurred the, the anger of both sides. I see. Exactly. Um, so yeah. at the time, it appeared to be, and, and not just the most realistic, but also the most desirable in that unless you wanted to perpetuate a, 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 a struggle, um, uh, a separation seemed to make the most the most sense. But then again, you know, uh, be that uh, deliberate or circumstantial, sadly, very sadly, the Israeli as well as Arab leadership have failed their people miserably over the years. And, and I think the Palestinian leadership is, is bears some responsibility abs as abs well. Absolutely, absolutely. I think Israelis as well as Palestinians, yeah. going back to Arafat and beyond that. So, so, so the question, you know, when I look at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict today, and I'm looking, first of all, I do not accept the notion there's going to be one state solution. I don't think that's what ever happened. And we can go over the reason behind all of this, regardless of what government you might see in Israel, be that from the extreme left to the extreme right, with, with few voices here and there. The one-state solution is not acceptable because it went totally and completely against the very premise of the establishment of a Jewish state and that will maintain the character of the Jewishness, Jewish national identity in the state is a sequenum to the preservation of the Jews per se. That is how they see it. Whatever you are contrary from some Israeli scholars otherwise who talk about one-state solution, I don't think that's going to see, look, resonate in any way. The issue is not whether there, there'll be a one-state solution. The issue is there is one state today. And so the question is, where do we go from here? And, exactly. I, and because I, um, in addition, when we were laying out who's at fault, um, clearly Israel bears the biggest burden in terms of fault because they were the occupying authority and they imposed this regime on the people of, of the West Bank and Gaza. And Arabs have fault, and I think the Palestinian leadership has ossified and has become, you know, uh, discredited because of the bad judgments that they've made. And they became a dependency on international support, which kept them from being able to carry out any effective program. But, but clearly the responsibility also is here in the United States. And, Isn't that a question? And, and Israel has felt a sense of impunity because they can do whatever they want and no one's ever going to sanction them. And, and that has come from here. And so, um, given the fact that that's not going to change anytime soon, um, I, the only, the reason I support the BDS movement, for example, is because there's a need to continue to elevate the issue of human rights, the issues of justice. Um, I can't, it's, it's beyond my pay grade to, 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 to come up with two states. I can't do it. But what I can do is I can elevate human rights problems. I can elevate the issues of injustice, of house demolitions, of, of 
of the humiliation of daily life under occupation. There's no doubt. Those are the things I can do. And yes. that's, that's where I am right now. And I now. think, I think every <clears throat> effort should be made in order to deal with these uh, unacceptable conditions in the West Bank. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but when you say there's a de facto one state, yes, it suits the Israelis. It doesn't suit the Palestinians. Of course. Because you have two different laws of today. Course. One is for the Jews, one, one for the Palestinians. That is not sustainable. Of course. That is not sustainable. That's why it's not a solution. It's not a solution. But it's the situation that they've created for themselves. Exactly. But again, here, I, you know, I, I deal with conflict resolution. Well, that's my focus is. And to me, I, you know, I can no longer go back 70 years and decide and think in terms of who was right, who was wrong. But we have to look at the reality today on the ground and ask ourselves the question, well, how do we solve this horrifying conditions? in order to satisfy both people. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is really the problem we face today. So, notwithstanding the fact what Israelis are doing, the Palestinians have also sustained and maintained certain notions, certain ideas that has backfired. I mean, I, in my last speech, I don't know if you've seen it, what I, what I, what I, what I was arguing is that the Palestinians' leadership, the Palestinians' uh, academic community, social organizations, uh, NGOs, all of that, promoted the notion of the right of return, for example. Okay. I am not suggesting that the Palestinians have not have right of return. I'm saying that it is not going to happen for various, many, many different reasons. And we can, yeah, again, because Israel, as it, as it is today and will be for the many years to come, will not allow that to happen. So the choice is going to become in them. And who's suffering in the interim? The Palestinians are suffering far more than Israelis would ever suffer. So the question when we, for example, we're dealing with, and, and that's I want to refer to your article, I agree with the premise. A solution to the Palestinian refugees need to be found, but is it going to be found by the establishing or because of the right of return? When no, we know, I know, you know, I'm sure, this is simply is not going to happen. The question is, we need to find a just solution, we just have, the way it's stated listen, by the Arab Peace Initiative. Listen, we, we have um, we've done polling on this, uh, extensive polling on it in the camps in Lebanon and in Jordan. There are formulas that could be found uh, to satisfy the needs. That Palestinians have. But first and foremost is recognition that a grave injustice was done, that they have a right to return. After that's acknowledged, then you can talk about how to implement that right. And in most instances, the overwhelming number of instances, um, people don't want to go back because there's nothing to go back to. Exactly. But, exactly. but, but if you begin the process by denying the right or saying, oh, get realistic, you're never going to go back. Now let's think of it. That's, that's a non-starter. Well, Wait, let, let me finish. Sure, of course. And on the broader question of, of, of Israel and, and, and its behavior, uh, I could say right now, we could have a discussion about what could Trump do? Well, he could begin to act uh, less uh, impetuously or 
he could uh, begin to act more respectfully or he could change the way he... None of it's going to happen. None of it's going to happen. And so we deal with what we've got. And either for those in the White House, as they wrote in the New York Times op-ed, um, you try to mute some of the damage that could be done. But for the rest of us, it's what can we do given the reality that he is the president, that he controls the Republican Party, that for the foreseeable future, they are the dominant party? What can we do? Well, number one, we can try to overthrow their control of Congress, which is what we're doing in November. But, but we accept the reality that he's not going to change. And so that's the circumstance we've got. We have to work within it to change the reality, to improve the situation as we move forward. So we are fighting for the $15 minimum wage. We're fighting for Medicare for all. We're raising and elevating all of these issues. That's how I look at the Arab-Israeli conflict. Israel's not going to change. It is not going to change. For the foreseeable future, we're going to have a right-wing government. There's no question about it. it, it every, every poll I see, every poll I do and see, uh, there is no way you get to 61 um, uh, members of the Knesset who have a different view than the, than the characters yeah, who are you're in. Right, you're Given right. that, you know, what do I do? And what do the Palestinians do? They have to begin, they have a strategy that says, what we've got right now is an occupation of the West Bank and Gaza that is not going to end anytime soon. And therefore, within that framework, I could continue to say, as, as J Street does, well, do you support the two-state solution? Saying it absolves most people from doing anything about it. What I have to figure out is what can we do, given the realities that exist, what can we do to improve the daily life of people, or at least to elevate the concern about them? Because Right now, if you walked over to Congress and said, how many of you support a two-state solution? All the hands would go up except maybe about 10 religious Christian religious nuns. The next question is, what are you going to do about what Palestinians are enduring every single day? Come step forward. Maybe 15 would step no, forward no, to do something. That's the problem. We've got to change that dynamic. But, uh, absolutely. It is exactly. You raised exactly the right question, is it? Making the statement oh, that, uh, that the solution lies with a two-state solution, yes. But what can you, in fact, do to implement it to make it happen? But it is not a problem of Trump only. The United States from day one has been enabler. Yes. This is, and this is, has more domestic, domestic... Democrat and Republican alike. No question. Yes, and there's no, no doubt about it because there's a significant domestic constituency that support Israel blindly, no matter what Israel does or doesn't do. And that's the evangelicals and many others. And this is, the parties, both Republican and Democrat, need this constituency in order to win any kind of election. To that's, a great changed. Extent, that's changed. That's Maybe a little bit, in, in, but, but not much, specifically when the, with, with Trump. On the Republican side, no, not at all. It's not changing at all. No, it's worse. So, so even under Obama, however, he was a little harsher on Netanyahu, he, he ended up appropriating $38 billion for, for Israel for 10 years for us. You know, that is Obama, who could not see eye to eye with, with, with Netanyahu. So going back to the issue of the Palestinians... Who told me one time that he was the most incorrigible person he ever had to work with. I, and I, I concur 100%. And then did nothing. <laughs> did nothing. 
disappointment. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't want to detail, but when he was elected in 1996, the first time, 1997, I've been approached by the Syrian government, ready, willing, and able. What happened, I said, was a stealing power. Mm. They're willing to make peace with Israel. Without going into details, I was asked to go. I went, I sat down with him, and I said to him, this is serious, significant, you need to consider it. And his motion was just like that. That's how he dismissed yeah. the whole thing. I mean, without going into many details right now. The same thing happened with the Turkish mediation. I was very much involved in that. And simply the government was not willing to consider even peace with it. Almost the last minute reneged on the negotiation, as you well know. Instead of answering Erdogan and say, yes, let's go ahead with it, he invaded Gaza two days later. Mm -hmm. so, so, having, you know, you know, considering all of this, when it comes to the Palestinians, the Israelis also find themselves today also in a bind because they really don't have a clear answer. When I talk to, to the people from the right of center, and they say, well, this situation that can sustain it, that is no solution, is sustainable. For, we sustain it for 50 years, we can sustain it for another 50 years. I'm sure. We dis I disagree. I'm sure. I disagree. But I'm sure that's the thinking. And that is the thinking. I think that they even that make a calculation of how many lives will be lost on their yes. side. Yes. And they say, eh, we can deal with that as long as we get more land, more more housing built, more this... Exactly. The, the price, the price is, is, is worth it. Exactly. Yeah. They say openly we lose so many more people on the roads uh, yeah. in an accident than we lose by terrorists yeah. coming from the West Bank. Or there the was West a guy Bank. who worked for Sharon during the 70s. I can't remember his name. He ended up here because he was disgraced in Israel and had to leave. And I remember the... Do you remember Israel Shahak? Yes. Yeah, Israel Shahak. And I worked together. I used to take all of his stuff and publish the Shahak papers monthly here in the States. But he sent me these articles about this guy, Joseph, I'll, I'll remember his name later, who had written a piece after uh, the Sinai uh, in 73, the Sinai invasion. Um, and he had wanted Sharon to go all the way to Cairo. And uh, he argued that uh, that they said we couldn't do it because of the, the losses that we would incur. He said, um, in, the, in the piece, he said, it would estimated to be about 1,200 or 1,300 dead soldiers. That is, a, he said, that's a mere uh, statistical error in the census. Um, <laughs> and they were so outraged that he said that, that, that he ended yeah. up coming here working in the Reagan we're working for Reagan at one point, where I figured the population was so much larger that he could have a larger pool of bodies to throw around in his calculations. But yeah, I mean, I, I always thought that, that um, no peace, who cares? Look, at we've got this and this and this. And, and settlements were, were called by Obama a um, um, settlement construction is illegitimate. That, that was the Obama term. But the implied understanding was that once they're built, they become realities on the ground and can't yeah, be moved. And yeah. if you look at the map right now, number one, I don't see how you get two states. I don't know where you where you put that that Palestinian state. Well, you, unless you move literally hundreds of thousands of settlers, 
no one in their right mind can imagine that that will happen without uh, without a civil war in Israel. And um, but that is an assumption, and you know, we looked into that very carefully with Israelis. The idea that hundreds of thousands will have to be removed—that is right, really not the case. By most estimate, no more than seventy to eighty thousand. Because the vast majority of yeah. the settlements that are scattered all over the West Bank, yeah. hardly now I know any of them has more than, not in fact only two have two or three have a thousand. The vast majority are three, four hundred, no. five hundred, six hundred. What are you going to do about the concentrations of the blocks? Look, I know that, that well, the three blocks. You know, the three blocks. Every Palestinian authority going back to our to a, yeah. I mean, they have agreed. That was one principle. of their big mistakes. Well, they gave they gave that. I mean, Sharon took, uh, uh, Trump took Jerusalem off the table when Abbas and Balin made that agreement. Right? It was not. It, it was. It was the settlement blocks would be da 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 da. That, that was da, It was not an agreement. It was a. It was a concept. But Israel took the concept and translated it into a fait accompli. So if you look at Jerusalem, it's it's a disaster. We agree. You know. I'm. I'm I want Bethlehem has lost all of its land to settlement construction. You you have these strangled little compounds. Hebron is the same situation. Ramallah is is a death trap for people. I mean the the population has grown, the construction has grown, and they've lost all their land. But the question the question is here. You have a voice, and let's, I just want to discuss the, some of the important points. The question for you, for me, for anyone. Who wants to find a solution? Yeah, is waiting any longer is going to help the Palestinians? No, no, of course okay. not. Okay, so if we agree on the premise that we, the longer we wait, the worse it's going to yeah. get for the Palestinians, not as much for the Israelis. Right. Then the question: How do we stop the clock? Right. We need to stop the the clock. Right. Let's stop the clock. How do we stop the clock? How we stop the clock is we not cannot take the entire all the conflicting issues, every single one of them border, security, settlement, Jerusalem, and on and on, and say, well, let's solve it in a single one. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Which, because the tension, the animosity, the hatred between the two sides are so intense. You're going to need a period of some kind of reconciliation, but you cannot just say, well, let's love each other from we, now on. We don't you need to begin with some concrete steps. We don't disagree. But here's the thing. Tell me. I am... Uh, let's just presume that I'm in the position to do something to stop the clock on the Palestinian side. And I say, okay, what's your offer? What do you put down for me that will stop this? Um, and two questions follow. The first is, is it conceivable that any government in Israel would make the offer that you propose? And number two, is it possible for you to imagine that Palestinians could accept whatever that government of Israel has to offer? Those are the two big issues that, that stymie me and say, because they can't come up with an offer, and whatever they do put on the table is totally unacceptable to Palestinians, what I'm left with is my agenda has to be fighting for simple justice, simple human rights, in real well, issues, it, it's that, beyond that my pay grade, 
well, to do that. No, I don't. No, I'm not the Palestinian. <laughs> I'm not the Palestinian leader who can make the decision. And I know that there's no Israeli there who's willing to do anything that could change the circumstances. But you are a thinker and you have a voice. And my voice just, is to elevate I, the, the human rights I issues. I agree with you. I, I, every, every time I go there, every time whatever I hear and see, I feel, mm. I, I cry in tears. To me, what Israelis are doing in the West Bank is not acceptable. It's criminal. Under any circumstances. It's criminal. So what we, that's what, we want to stop that. So when you are focusing on human rights, which is rightly so, and we need to focus on that. Well, we need to do something about it. And by merely focusing on it, in and of itself, is not solving the problem. But raising it above the level of invisibility, because most who, people, who, here, most people here in America don't know about who, it. Who, uh, and do you think the American, uh, any American government administration is going to change its tune? No, but we've made real progress here among in millennials, African Americans, Latinos, um, progressive Jews, the coalition that exists in particular on the Democratic side is very substantial. It is today, I do not believe that the next Democratic nominee for president will be able to be as pro-Israel as former Democratic nominees well, for president. Well, you know, I mean, this is a conjecture at best. I, I you know, knowing the history of the bilateral relation between the United States of Israel, to, to make that Chaim uh, Saban doesn't drive the traffic anymore. Well, this is true, but you know, I think the conditions that you have on the ground there have changed so much. So, where in, in yeah. Israel, Palestine, uh, no American administration, no president is going to come and dictate to the Israelis what to do. Uh, Netanyahu and many like him defied Obama by saying no, stop the settlement. They said, no, we're not going to stop the settlement. So there is that element because they link it almost to national security. It's a question of life and death for the Israelis. That's how they portray it mm -hmm. in no other way. And so I don't want to bank on American administration yeah. that's been enabling Israel for 70 years to change uh, dramatically its tune. That's not going to happen. We need to take the action ourselves. We need to change the minds and the heart in the, in the area itself. And I'm saying is, how do we go about it before it gets so much so... You see, we are on the verge, almost on the verge of no, of no return. I think we're, we're at the point. I think we're, we're there. We're past we're, it. <laughs> I, I'm not sure we pass it, because if we pass it, we will not have this conversation. Yeah. Well, I, I have to tell you that I, you know, I, I, for the last 20 years, I was hearing the five minutes from midnight. I think it's after midnight. I think it's done. It's done in terms of the, the three factors. The, there is no Israeli leadership that can emerge that is willing to do anything beyond what they are doing. And some of the alternatives are worse than even this son of a bitch who's there now. On the Palestinian side, the, the, the political situation is just totally dysfunctional. It's dysfunctional. And even yeah. if it were functional, the only thing that, that, that would make sense would be um, a, a political leadership that would lead a mass, nonviolent, civil disobedient campaign that would shock Israel into some I reality. I think exactly right. And the third is that here in America, uh, while I think we're making progress on the democratic side, I don't think that we're at the point where we're going to be able to see a dramatic shift in American policy that would punish Israel. Punish that's not Israel. That's going to happen. And that's so given, oh, that's what I'm saying, 
because those three things are there, we're past midnight. Well, however, uh, I, I take the position that as long as Abbas and Netanyahu are in power, we cannot expect any significant change. Nothing is going to happen. Not to speak of the fact that this fool sitting in the White House. So we have a period of time, and maybe a year or two or three, hopefully this guy will be impeached sooner than later. Who knows? I hope. <laughs> what but comes later, what comes after him, Pence is worse. Uh, it's, it's worse. It's worse as far as the Israelis are concerned, there's no question. But what we're saying here now is that given this reality, which you are, and I absolutely have no disagreement with you on that, but the Palestinians need to take also the initiative. We mentioned, you mentioned uh, civil disobedience. I spoke about civil disobedience going, and I, I went to Israel, I was stopped at the border. How dare you? How dare you speak about civil disobedience? I said, I'm, I have every right, I'm, a, I'm American, I'm free to write and think and say whatever I want to say. For hours I was questioned about it. Mm. So what I'm saying is the Palestinian can no longer rely on the United States or international community or the Israelis' uh, uh, kindness and compassion to change their plight, to change their conditions. Sure. Okay, so what do we do? And, as, and if you say we are afraid to focus merely on, which is necessary and important, on human rights, that is not going to filter, they're going to make a major impact in the territories themselves. I, I would advocate, I would absolutely advocate civil disobedience on a massive scale. I was saying, let's have 100,000 Palestinian women with children, no clubs, no life, just march. You know Abdul Jawad Zala? Yes. Yeah. He proposed that back in the 70s. I supported him. Um, I supported, I still support that. I supported it in 2000. I wrote a series of articles on it. I, I, I support uh, Mubarak and, and his brother Sammy. Um, and I support uh, BDS because they are not, all of them are nonviolent tools. Um, and I, th I thought that the, the Great March of Return was, was brilliant, but it, um, it made the mistake of not using violence, but of using provocation. But um, I think this, this and was a mistake, therefore, because it gave the Israelis the opportunity. They couldn't use violence because the closest they could come to any Israeli was, you know, when I'd hear that they were at the border throwing firebombs, I'd say, wait, they're, they're 200 yards from any Israeli. If there was anybody who could throw something 200 yards, I'd want to bring them here to America and sign them up for a football team. You know, I mean, this is a great athlete. There was no danger, but they shouldn't have used the provocation at all. It should have been totally nonviolent and peaceful. But also the banner. Arafat said, I'm sorry, I was in a conversation with Arafat about it one time, and we were arguing the nonviolence, and he said, they'll shoot at us. And I said, they're already shooting at you. I mean, that's not the issue. The issue is, what do you do that awakens the consciousness, conscience of the world? Yeah, I mean, look, a guy, a guy that instigated some thoughts and ideas, and myself and many others that we've been talking about, I think the banner under which the whole thing, you know, the, the, the March of Return, in and of itself, played directly into the Israeli hands. What is it? For the Israelis, the whole concept of the right of return is, the, is basically destroying Israel by other means. 
That's how they see it. Had this demonstration in, in, in Gaza were conducted under a different kind of banner, let's say we insist on a two-state solution, we want the, the blockade to be lifted, then you're touching on something that the international community will have supported much mm-hmm. I think that's where the mistake is to happen. So, so again, we, we need to segment this conflicting issue one by one and look at it, which way do you go and, and reaching out to this administration, not by stopping supporting UNRWA. That is the wrong thing to do. Instead of doing that, I would have raised a call on the EU, the Arab uh, oil rich countries, the United States, to raise 10, 15 billion dollars and say, this money is available for resettlement and compensation for the Palestinians. Instead of just merely abruptly stopping the support of UNRWA. This is what we think we need to begin to advocate. That is, we need to solve the Palestinian refugee problem, not by what the horrifying act that he has done, has taken, but creating the tools and means by which we can speak with the credibility. I, 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 can't, I can't disagree with solving the refugee problem, but I can disagree with dissociating it from the broader, the broader issue. I'm not, I mean, you can't, I'm not suggesting you, that. Yeah, yeah. I'm suggesting... That's what Trump so, tried to do. No. No, no, so no. So if what you I'm were saying, to, if you would just, if you were to say we're going to create a fund of fifteen billion to resettle you, meanwhile we're doing nothing about this. But that's what I'm saying. Okay, I'm just I'm, what I'm saying. The is, sequencing of it is no, is you are, yeah. The sequencing is very important. And what I'm saying is, you need a commitment on both sides to a, to 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 a solution. That commitment has not been been seen. Neither by the Israelis or the Palestinians. Oh, the Palestinians have committed to the two states. I really doubt that. At oh, all. no, I mean, from look, the beginning. It is perhaps at one point, but I don't, and Israelis also at one point were committed to two state solution. But that commitment today does not exist. I'm not sure the Israeli government ever was committed to two states. Even Rabin was not. But we, even, even if we go as far as that and suggesting that we're not, but today you cannot reach a solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict unless both sides commit to make a commitment. So when you solve issues one at a time, it is in the context, has to be in the context of a comprehensive solution, no, not I, separate. I, I, I agree, but there are no conditions for it, and so I'm stuck. Well, how do we, well, we need to create the conditions. Yeah. We need to create these conditions. I know. But but the the the, the strongest party uh, is the one that becomes the main obstacle, and I don't see I don't see what levers there are. I don't I, I don't see how Israel changes. I just don't. And um, I mean the the Labour Party is today. Uh, in some ways, it's it's as bad as as the coup in the positions it's taken. Oh yeah, they're singing the same song. The number of members of the Knesset that could possibly be elected to a, a transformative government, you know, a government that would be transformative of the situation, is maybe thirty or something like that, um, and um, and that thirty includes the Arab members who are. There's no, there's just no way to get to 61 with Jews. 
And if you had a government that was Arab and Jewish, it would lack the legitimacy with the far right to be able to take any of the, 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 the measures that have to be taken. I, I mean, I'm not saying this because it makes me feel good. It doesn't. I mean, this has been, this goddamn issue has haunted me my entire life. I mean, I, I, I have lost jobs. I've lost speaking engagements. I've had my office firebombed, a friend murdered. I've had my life threatened and people have gone to jail for it. I mean, this is an issue that is, is, is maybe the closest of all the issues that I've ever worked with. That, that obsesses no, not, me. Not I obsess and, and I feel the same way. And, 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 and I feel the same way. And so it doesn't. It pains me to say, um, I don't see the way to a solution. I, I just don't. I was on the White House lawn in in September 1993, and I embraced you know people, and and we cried together, and we were hugging each other, and. I, Gore came to me and Clinton came to me to start Builders for Peace, and I worked with the White House for four years trying to improve the Palestinian economy, and finally went to the president and said, it's not going to happen, Israel won't allow imports and exports, and so all the businesses we lined up that wanted to go in decided not to go in because we couldn't get them guaranteed that they would be able to have access and egress with their product. Uh, unless they had an Israeli middleman that removed the profit margin, and these guys weren't charities; these were these were businessmen. So if you said, you know, you have to uh, you have to sign up with an Israeli middleman that's going to add fifteen percent to the price, it was like no longer a business. They, the furniture business we were going to do, the the suitcase, the luggage company that was going to do. I mean, all of these people just said, "I'm sorry, we can't do it." Given that, um, I, I put. I put in years on this, and I now come back to where I started in the 70s with human rights. What I can do, what I can do, and I always make a distinction between what I can tell other people to do and what I can hope that they will do versus what I can do. And in my waning years, uh, not quite. Yeah, seventy <laughs> seventy-three. You know, looking at the, you know, I'm never retiring until they take me out of here in a pine box. <laughs> but uh, but what I can do is is elevate the human rights cases, is educate people about the situation, is hopefully create the the the, the, the knowledge for a new generation that will uh, carry this torch forward, that will know um, the Palestinian poets that I knew that will understand the history that I knew, that will be as familiar with the circumstances that Palestinians are living under that I know, and that will also know that there are, on the Arab side, uh, that Arabs will know that there are progressive Jews in Israel who are sacrificing every day. Um, I was blessed to know Felicia Langer and Israel Shahak. Um, and love the partnership we have with Jewish Voices for Peace, uh, Jewish Voice for Peace, rather, uh, as I was with Bray Ra and and the uh, uh, New Jewish Agenda and the groups that we worked with over the last 40 years. Uh, these are things that, that matter, um, and that's the work I'm doing. I, I could continue the abstract, if only they would do this, or... No, no, no. But no. I, when I see no conditions for any of that to happen... Um, I've got to say, 
what I can do is this. And and I can't do the rest because it's just not it's not I, I can't create the nonviolent movement in, in, in Palestine. I can't change the Israeli government. Um, and I'm not going to be able to kick Trump out of the White House anytime soon. Um, therefore, I do what I do. What you're doing is absolutely admirable. Is there no question? I mean, I would support this with every breath that I have. There's no, no doubt about that. What I'm saying is, however, to suggest to suggest that there is nothing that can be done about it, that's where we depart. That's where I, I'm not prepared to give up. Okay. I'm not That's, giving up. Yeah, yeah. What I am saying is, along with what you're doing, which is admirable, right. which is necessary, which is crucial, right. we've got also to see, look for the second track. And that I, by, by insisting and suggesting that we've got to find also, because what you're doing here is not exported readily and naturally to the territories. That's what I'm concerned mm -hmm. about. We need to create that movement there in Israel itself. And mind you, you just said, we went to Israel recently. There are 140 different organizations in Israel, 140, who support, who talk about two-state solution. 140. And I was, I was very upset. I said, why can't you all get, some of you get together? Why do you have all kinds? But, but the, you know, the Israelis have their own problem, like Ben-Gurion once said. There were five ministers, five minister, prime ministers of Israel. They have this problem. Everybody thinks that they have the solution. What I'm saying, there is strong constituency in Israel. And I dare say majority of Israelis wants to end this conflict based on the two states. Israelis, when we have to distinguish between, this is a coalition government. This is not just a government of a single party. A coalition government to be formed, there's a great deal of give and take. And when you have the Likud party as the head of it, that is the policy. Albeit, is the Likud represent only 30, only 30 percent of the members in the Knesset are belong to the Likud. And, and, and there, put the parties to the right of them. There, there are two or three parties to the right of them. But there is also Kalon and one of the religious parties. They are not committed to the right. They are there because without being in the government, they will not be funded. I understand, but I also know that they are not willing to. Uh, look, I, we can we can go back and forth. No, but this. I mean, I don't want to and say. I, they... And I've actually I've actually done polling in Israel recently, rather extensive polling, and and come away with the fact that there's not a majority that supports a two-state solution. And actually, well... what was interesting was that. There was a significant number of Israelis and Palestinians who supported the one-state solution, but their vision of the one state was different. The Listen, plurality of the Israelis who supported the one-state solution said, we asked them a series of conditions, would they want this, 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 and, and a plurality of them wanted one state with the Palestinians being transferred to Jordan, being, in other words, expelled from the country. That's the vision of the one state they have. This is a problem, and I think that, you know, it's... We're talking about the cancer that Trump has metastasized in the culture. That, that's taken place in Israel, too. It is. It is and it's it is, very real. It is, except, you know, um, I never took the position as they, as if they were a single unit in Israel. They, they're not in Israel. You know? right. well, in any election, you have more than 20 parties are running for seats in the parliament. 
So there is no they per se. That are Many of them are ego trips. Yeah. They're not parties. You know, this is, this is true. But, but you know, without without getting into um, also, there's a, I don't want to take too much more of your time. But I just to conclude this, what I'm saying, and I'd like just to get your your take on this. What you're doing is important. It's a critical need to be continued. But I'd like to see also movement in among the Palestinians themselves. And that is not happening. And it's ought to happen there. And it's a peaceful movement on en masse. And we need to promote that in every which way we can. Because either that or there's going to have to be some kind of explosion whereby the Palestinians will never agree to go back to the status quo ante. Yeah. I, I can't disagree with the, the need for movement, but I think that there are reasons why uh, you won't get that movement from the Palestinian side right now. Well, you need a new leadership. It's not just leadership. It's, not, it's actually not just leadership because it's also the fact that when, when people are beaten down for so long, um, and when they've lost as much as they've lost, and been as humiliated as they've been humiliated, there's a point where most people, or a significant number of people, let's say, just want to live. They just want to go on with their daily life. And so uh, there's a, a, a kind of energy that's been sucked out of the Palestinian side right now. And uh, uh, and that's 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 yeah, real. That is, that it's is, tragic, but it's also is. the circumstance that's there. So if but are you, are we are we going to suggest that they are doomed? I'm not prepared to accept. I'm that. I'm I'm not I'm not suggesting because that that either. is that is what's going to come. I'm to not, that's why I think BDS is so important. That's why I think that uh, the the Great March of Return was important. Anything that creates energy, anything that creates movement, uh, becomes of, of well, we need to That's why it. Ahad Damimi was such an incredible shot in the arm for people. But we need to magnify that. I would we love to. To. Ma to magnify I'd that. love to. And to prevent violence. You know, the March of Return turned out to a disaster because, like exactly what you said, turned out to be violent. And we, we don't want to see that. Because Israel will prevail when it comes to violence, and that's, that, that that is sad. I know. I, so, I, it plays into their narrative, just as the Israeli actions play into the Palestinian narrative and, and create fear of dispossession, fear of displacement, yeah. which is is what drives the, I think the Palestinian side is this this overriding fear. It's, it, I remember somebody said once, the Israelis say. We wanted to push them into the sea. They wanted to push us into the desert. We never did it. They did it. And it, that's the reality, is that the Israelis the Israelis have all the marbles and the Palestinians yeah, but don't the, have any. The Israelis have had and continue to have this uh, counter-narrative. The Palestinians refused the partition plan. The Palestinians refused to take the make peace in that gap. Today, in, in today's in today's culture, we call it fake news. Um, <laughs> That's a Best deal ever. Arafat <clears throat> turned it down. I mean, two thousand at Camp David. They didn't. They, they 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 weren't expelled. 
the Arab leaders told them to leave uh, to make way for the Arab armies. I that know, were absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the Israeli Hasbara campaigns have been from the beginning the, the, the dominant the driving both, the narrative. Both sides engage in a narrative, and that is one of the biggest problems. The Palestinians promoted their own narrative, the Israelis promoted their own narrative, and today you cannot reconcile. Here's, here's maybe where we disagree. I actually accept the Palestinian narrative. They were expelled, they were dispossessed, they have legitimate rights to return. I do not see, I accept the existence of Israel. I accept the existence of Israel. It's fine. Does it have a right to exist? I don't accept that. Does it have a legitimacy? I don't accept that. It has an existence, period. They came and they were a settler colonial regime that came to, with the intent of displacing those whom they call the Red Indians. They said, like the Red Indians, they would push them. We agree. Fine. We, we okay. ag that so, is not the point of disagreement. Between. We agree on this issue. Right. What I am saying it. There is a reality today. Let's deal with the reality. And I'm doing it. Because we I'm cannot go retroactively. I'm doing it. And I'm doing okay. it by saying, no. you know, you put somebody in jail that doesn't deserve to be there, I'm going to elevate their case and talk about it. I'm going to okay, win supporters This for is them. good. I You're going to build a settlement that you shouldn't be building, I'm going to elevate it and talk about the people who lost their land. You're going to demolish a village, I'm going to talk about that. I think it is all That's necessary and important. And I also believe that there's got to be also another track. For example, yeah. how do we stop the building of a settlement? Well, I mean, this is the kind of thing we're talking about. I, I would love to see an approach that would that would find a way to do that. I don't know, I don't know how to do it as much as I do um, how to how to create public support for victims of human rights abuse. I wish I could lead the nonviolent movement. That's not my job to do. Um, I will support those who do it. Um, well, that's I, both I support, of us. I support, support Omar Barghouti. I support Sami Awad. I think they're great people, wonderful people, doing great work. Uh, I support combatants for peace, breaking the silence, if not now. Um, but you know, in, in, these are in a, these are really courageous people doing great things. There are many things. courageous Israeli Jews who also are talking exactly the same language. Yeah. I mean, look what you see, what you read in Haaretz. I mean, it's not like the Israelis are afraid to talk about these issues. They talk about these issues. We need to build on this with these constituencies and begin to change the dynamics in one form or another. Anyway, uh, we probably won't solve all the problems today, <laughs> but I'm really grateful. We talked about them. We're grateful for the... Well, you know, sometimes it takes conversations yeah. like this to, to, to begin to think of different uh, yeah. options. Well, thank you for doing it. No, the pleasure is mine. I'm, Thank I'm you. I'm glad I actually time. did come in today. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Alan. Bye. pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page, and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.